Welcome to the Emerging Biotech Leader, where we help biotech leaders maximize the value of their therapeutics from translational development to product launch. We're your hosts. I'm Kim Kushner. And I'm Ramin Farhood. We are here to help you navigate the pitfalls of the biotech industry and illuminate the path forward. Welcome to today's episode of the Emerging Biotech Leader. Today, we're welcomed with Max Craig, a vice president with SSI, who's had the opportunity to collaborate with a number of medical affairs leaders, both as the chief of staff, head of program leadership, and help them build and scale their organizations. We'll be speaking with Max today about debriefing from a conversation we had in our last episode with Rachel Kokenauer from Trevere Therapeutics, where we really talked about the value of medical affairs, what it takes to be a cross-functional leader and bring your partners along in the strategic direction and growth of the organization, and really all of the foundational pieces needed to drive to a successful launch. So Max, welcome to the to the show. We're happy to have you here. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. One of the things that we really want to start out this conversation focusing on is the idea of cross-functional collaboration. I know in your role, and, and Rachel talked about this a lot in her episode as well, in your role partnering with medical affairs leaders, a lot of what we're we're doing and a lot of what I know you're really great at is some of the change management and collaboration with other leaders. And I was really uh, taken by Rachel's experience, having been a leader in government affairs and patient affairs and market access. She's kind of touched a lot of these different areas along the way, just given her really unique perspective on what their motivations are, what they need to achieve and how to really merge those two aspects. So maybe we could start today's conversation on that piece and and the role of medical affairs, both as a strategic partner to these functions, but also in collaborating with them for successful outcomes. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, medical affairs sits at a really interesting intersection um, of, of pharma companies and biotech companies is, you know, they're scientific and they understand, you know, the science coming out of the clinical trials and, you know, post-marketing um, evidence generation activities but they're also out there in the field and they're talking with HCPs and KOLs and understanding what the sentiment is on the ground. So they're kind of this bridge between clinical and, you know, the commercial regulatory market access folks. And, you know, they sit at, you know, like I said, a really valuable intersection where they can marry all these things together and make sure that the messages of the company are, you know, getting out into the marketplace and we're understanding what the actual patient need and unmet need is, um, you know, out there in, in whatever therapeutic area that they're working in. Um, and I think Rachel brings a really interesting dynamic to being a VP of global medical affairs that honestly, not a lot of medical affairs leaders that I've seen before may have in that Kim, as you said, she's worked in so many different functions. She was, you know, a, a practicing pharmacist and then she was an MSL and then market access government affairs. So she's worked on the ground talking with patients as a pharmacist. She's worked in medical affairs function. She's worked kind of on the other side in the commercial or corporate function. So she's able to really bring all of those different viewpoints to being the leaders, global medical affairs and, and global medical affairs as a function. And by its nature is just so cross-functional as we've discussed. And so I think that really helps her to understand what the need is if she's talking with say the head of program strategy, or if she's talking with the commercial folks, or if she's, you know, data releases coming up and they're trying to figure out how they can support that with ad boards or messaging on the ground with the MSL. So I think she brings a really interesting skill set to um, the medical affairs team and really helps to show to her team how they can see the viewpoints of the other folks within the function, or I'm sorry, within, within the company to, you know, be that strategic partner and how they can really drive 
you know, and help that market sentiment and really just set the company up for success. And Ramin, you've played this role as head of medical affairs in multiple organizations before you came here. What about in your experience? Can you can you tell us a little bit more about what's worked really well with collaborating with cross-functional leaders? What's been that bridge? And how have you been successful in connecting those dots? It's a really good question. And it's probably one of the hardest things that we have to do in medical. And by the way, I don't think it's even specific to medical affairs. I think it's it's true for all the functions, right? How do you collaborate outside of, it's hard enough to collaborate within your own function. How do you collaborate outside? And that and that's also not your expertise necessarily. How do you find that right balance? Um, and and it's, a, it's a really good question. I think the first thing, that I have done, and I've seen successful people doing actually much better than I have done, is to start thinking about across the enterprise and across the function, and not just solely focus on your own function. Of course, your function and the output and what you need to do is incredibly important, but that's only half of what we need to do. The other half of the time, and honestly, I don't think this is even related to anybody's title. It doesn't matter if you're a vice president or you're a director or you're associate director. We want to be in a position that you think about the company, you think about across the functions within the organization. And also in the background, obviously, you have to think about the HCPs and the patients because that's uh, we are grounded, right? Medical efforts is grounded within the external community as well. Uh, that helps quite a bit because when you start thinking outside of the uh, your own functions, I think it gives you a different perspective. You start seeing the other point of views and what's important to the other other functions, other leaders within the organization and try to match that up. So what you're looking for and what they're looking for, there's probably a common ground there and identifying those. Um, basically everything that just like Rachel said and she does. Now it's a lot easier said than done because this takes time, right? It takes thinking time. I'm not saying that it takes six months to do, but it takes time that you have to set aside, think about it and say, okay, I'm going to have such a, such a meeting with these folks. This is what's important to me, what's important to them and how can we kind of find that, that common goal. Um, that's, that's one thing that I think, um, uh, it will be helpful for folks to think about. Two things that I think Rachel's done really well, and the, the, the one that Ramin just hit on is she's taken a lot of time to think about her interactions kind of up and out. So, you know, with other folks on the VP level or when, when she's interacting with the executive level, Jermaine said, what's that give get? Like, what is she going into that meeting to give? You know, what is she going to share? And what does she hope to get in return? So she goes into these meetings with a purpose so she can show, you know, one, to, to show the value to these folks that medical affairs can bring to them, but also to show the value of, of being that strategic partner and listening to, um, you know, her cross-functional partners and, you know, intaking their needs and bringing that back to her function um, and, and really showing how medical affairs, you know, delivers, but also intakes and helps others deliver as well. And then another thing that I thought of that she's just rolled out to her team is, you know, she's kind of, it, it's kind of a four layers of leadership. So there's individual contribution, you know, that's one, that's kind of the inner layer of leadership. Then there's being a leader of leaders, an enterprise leader, and then an external leader. And she's, you know, working on herself to grow into all four of those areas, but also working with her leadership team and all of their direct reports to grow in these four areas as well. And really just trying to, to continue that upward development of all the people within her function to continue that value build. So I think, 
those are two things that she's putting into practice, both, you know, personally, and then for her function to just continue to drive that value creation. So that's one of the key themes that I'm hoping we can maybe tease out a little bit more, which is really around this definition of the value of medical affairs. In my experience, and I think that both of you have had many additional experiences above and beyond my own, it's incredibly challenging to tell the story of what medical affairs can do for the organization in terms of value and results and translate it in a way that is not just in the hypothetical sense. I, I know in the last episode, I, I gave the example of, you know, if I'm going to the doctor myself or with a, pa- with a family member, my expectation of a physician as a patient and how, how do we work backwards on the why uh, to the industry so that we can really shape the work we're doing. But using that similar lens, how do we customize that narrative within every organization that we're talking about so that it's really tangible in terms of the value that we're providing? And maybe to take that question a step further for the both of you to think about for a moment, um, Ramin, you brought up the point of time and you were referring to time in the concept of taking the time to think and evolve. But I would also pose the same time-related question on the value of medical affairs, because one of the biggest challenges with the value is that medical efforts take time. You can't move behavior change in the medical community overnight. It doesn't take one interaction to completely change sentiments. We're, We're talking about deeply ingrained understandings and behaviors that we have to shift mindsets and industries and behaviors related to and that takes time. And most organizations are impatient, especially in biotech, where we don't have the time and money to do it. So we'd love for, for both of you to maybe react to this concept of value definition within an organization, as well as how to address the temporal element of the work that we have to do in medical. Yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot of the work that medical affairs done over the last you know year and a half that, that Ramin and I have been on the ground there has been how how can we quantify some of these longer term initiatives? And so I'm thinking about you know changing KOL sentiment and behavior, um, you know through MSL interactions. So now they have a tool that you know Kim to your point, it's it's a tool that's used at most on a quarterly basis, but likely every six months where you're measuring you know KOL changes in behavior. That's a long term you know every six months you're going to say how have I moved the needle on this specific KOL? And you hope to get you know, a year or two of data so you can kind of see that trend line go, you know, up to where they're being an advocate. But it's 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 different than, oh, I got 20 KOLs to write, you know, 150 prescriptions this week, you know, on the sales team. That's, you know, great metrics. Those are hard metrics. We know what those mean. Um, you know, so there's been some of that. And there's also, you know, looking from a scientific communication standpoint, we're looking at messaging for the next two years for these programs. And so it is really hard because, like you said, all of these behavioral changes and messages that we want to put out there, some of their some of them are time based strictly because when you know publications will accept a manuscript or when you can submit an abstract and and have a poster at a congress. And some of that is kind of set for you on that time based spectrum. But some of them, like you said, is, is it's changing that behavior and that takes time. And how do you measure that and quantify that, even if it's over a long period of time? And I think medical affairs and, and Rachel has done a really great job of of putting some tools in place to measure that. But I would say the counter to that is a lot of companies, I think, 
really start to think about those robust medical affairs metrics too late. Um, and the earlier that you can start those, so you can start to build those baselines and get that data coming in on that behavioral change or on the messages that you want to put out. You know, the earlier, the earliest you can do that leading up to launch. And I know Kim, like you said, funds are usually tight for a lot of these small biotechs and you got to figure out where every dollar is going and what the value returning, you know, return on that dollar is. Um, so it can be really tough to make the case for this, but I think, you know, as we start to see it be more and more effective at a lot of um, smaller biotechs, I think it's getting out there in the industry that medical affairs is that strategic partner. They can make all these changes. They can, you know, prepare the market really, really well in the two years leading up to launch. And if you want to have that com successful commercial launch, you know, post, you know, day one, month, week one, month one, year one, you have to have that market preparation and that's medical affairs. And I think it's really just how do we, how do we create those metrics and create that understanding of the value that medical affairs does two years leading up to launch? Yeah, no, I, I agree with everything you're saying, Max. Just kind of build up on that. Um, there are a few things that you even have to do before you do anything else. One is you have to define what that value is for that particular company slash the folks that you're talking about, which is, which is what we talked a little bit earlier about cross-functional. Because the value, depending on the company, where the firm is at, whether they're very early stages, they're three years from launch, maybe they have two products already in the market, the value of medical efforts shifts. And that storytelling needs also to shift and meet that value, right? So I think that's really, really important because we have a tendency of, of going to different whether it's a company or a client or, or whatever the case may be, communicating the same value that we have always been. And that particular firm may be in a completely different spot than, and that value may not quite resonate with them. So that's one thing to, to understand. And you have to be really in tune with that. One thing that I do personally is that I listen to um, the investor calls, to be very honest, because that's where I can hear from the CMO. I can hear from the CEO. If there's a CSO on the call, I see what a couple questions are coming on. Uh, and I figured this out just maybe, you know, seven, eight years ago, and it completely changed my thinking about across an enterprise and what does that really mean? What's really important to the to the CMO, CEO, to the forum? What type of questions are coming in from the investors uh, and that was very eye-opening, and I learned quite a lot from that. It helps me, again, to bring in the value or craft the value story of medical affairs that next time when I'm in front of the board or the executive team, I can kind of be in the same uh, thinking with them, right? Uh, that's, that's really, really important. I think that's kind of like the first step. The other one with regards to the value, the execution is absolutely important. You've got to be able to execute and get things done and have an outstanding result. But the strategy is even more important, right? If you're bringing the value to the board of directors or you're talking to the C-suite, right, people, the value needs to be focusing on your strategy and your thinking as opposed to we're going to do five ad boards, 20 publications, you know, uh, 500 interactions, right? That, I'm not saying that's not important, but that's a smaller piece of the conversation uh, and you want to focus on this strategy. And again, if overall you think about it, the value that we bring in is what? We generate data, we disseminate, communicate that data, and we engage with our stakeholders, right? And that's, that's pretty powerful for medical affairs, but you have to anchor your listeners in those areas as well, because quite honestly, we do have a lot of educating and re-educating 
cross-functionally as well. That's why it takes a little bit sometimes um, challenging for us in medical. But that's that's kind of the way I would um, um, I would see it. Yeah, I think those are really critical points, Ramin and Max. You know, same. I agree with everything that you said there. The other area that maybe to pull on that Max, you were kind of alluding to is how do we talk about return on investment in medical affairs? We all fundamentally know that everything you just described, Ramin, is critical to success, but we cannot attribute you know, dollars and cents outcomes in the same way that we can in a more commercial setting. So it's a little bit more nebulous in, in that kind of an understanding. And I think that that trips people up in terms of attributing value, because often that value is not necessarily dollars and cents in the same way, but it is opportunity cost. It's it's the fact that your sales team might take double the amount of time to have an impact in the field because the market, to, to your earlier points, wasn't ready to understand what they're even trying to say after you get to the point of launch. And now you're not seeing an uptick from an investor point of view in your revenue for much, much longer because it's going to take so much time for people to actually see the potential of the products that you're bringing to market. Or, you know, once you actually do get there, what's the true clinical pull through? Are people writing the scripts in the way that you had forecasted? And and it, I would envision that those forecasts look really, really different when there's heavy demand that the medical community understands fundamentally why what you're bringing to market is differentiated for their patients. So they know which patients are going to benefit. And in fact, they have a wait list because they know I have 40 patients that will be fantastic on day one, the minute that I can prescribe this and I can't wait to offer this to them. That's a very different scenario than when you haven't laid this groundwork. And I think the concept of ROI is very much in this like opportunity cost kind of mentality that I think is just different than how we're used to talking about returns you know, from a, a corporate lens. And I know a lot of work has been done and, and, and we have case studies on, you know, Kim, like you were saying, the difference in uptake with different levels of market preparation by global medical affairs. And, and to your point, those uptake curves are so much longer when you haven't had medical affairs out there beating the drum, whether that's through, you know, one-on-one KOL engagements, um, you know, CMEs and symposia at Congresses, very effective booths, um, you know, a robust med info function within medical affairs. And, and I, a lot of work has been done to showcase the value that that adds in the, like you said, those day one prescriptions, do we have kind of a waiting list to, to get patients, you know, on the therapy? Do we have, you know, once that initial set of patients is prescribed, do we have that next level? Do we have that kind of continued demand from HCPs because they see the long-term value of our product? And, you know, that really comes from medical affairs preparing the market really, really well. And that starts two years before launch or more. Um, and so I think it's, it's we, we have seen that needle move. And I think, you know, Ramin and I have seen on the ground medical affairs is getting, you know, a, across a lot of companies, medical affairs is getting a, um, you know, a regular seat at board meetings and they're presenting strategic plans at board meetings, not just we had 250 KOL engagements and we submitted this. It's 
what are our plans? What are we doing next? It's, it's, it's a good thing, but it's in, it's more of a, what have you done for me lately? And what are you going to do for me next mentality, which is a great place to be because they understand that you are a driver for the company, not just, you know, a support function as, as medical affairs has been thought of for, for a really long time across the industry. And so I think we've just seen on the ground that kind of switch of they are very important and they are very important to our success. And they are one of the, you know, Clindev commercial medical affairs, regulatory, they all have to be in lockstep, which brings us back to kind of that cross-functional nature. They all have to be working together if we want our program to be successful for patients and have HCPs really believe in our product and get it into the patients that need it as quickly as possible. And Ramin, I'd like to challenge you to maybe react to Mm -hmm. one thing that that Max has called out, I think, a few times in this conversation, which is this idea that medical affairs needs to start building at least two years prior to a launch. And I think that holds true in a traditional drug launch, in well-understood therapeutic areas, even in you know more rare diseases where you know there might be some baseline understanding, maybe not a lot of competition in the space. But Ramin, you've been involved in launches where it's ultra-rare disease and medical affairs can't wait to two years before a launch, but really actually needs to be a strategic partner in the early clinical phases in the phase one, phase two kind of thinking relative to maybe your experience at Avexis or or others in the gene therapy where you're bringing a whole new modality to the market. You're changing the landscape of payers and providers and patients understanding the core fundamentals of what you're even offering them. That work takes a lot more than two years and it does need to happen in parallel to your clinical programs to even be able to recruit patients. So can you maybe react a little bit to, you know, the variables that contribute to the right timing to really think about medical? Ideally, we want to start sooner and sooner, but you also have to keep in mind that uh, the resources sometimes are not there. Uh, the, the data release, we have to wait until the data release we can before we can activate, you know, uh, MSLs, or we have to wait for such and such thing to happen to, right? Especially for a smaller biotech company. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. You just have to sequence it, right? However, uh, you really want to, and I give you a couple of different scenarios, and I've been involved with the one that you have four or five months to launch all the way from, you start launching, you know, years before. I think what you see, and I'm going to try to connect everything together, what you're going to see the trend going forward I think is going to be getting medical efforts involved, just like what you said, Kim, early on. The earlier, the better, right? Even in the preclinical development, the studies and getting starting, getting that insights. But anyway, why? It's not just because we want to have additional person sitting at the table. At the, at the at the table, it's because medical is closest to the insights, to the external folks, right? We're running our advisory boards. We have you know team on the ground. Even if we don't have team on the ground, it's, it's, we still pick up insights, right, and information differently and some of our other colleagues within the organization. So we want to bring those back on and those having those discussions early on, right? The whole concept of the target pro, target uh, product profile, right, which medical should play an ex- incredibly important role in to build that up because we have a very good understanding of what what the end user being the patient and the HCPs want. So that's that's really kind of where I think we're going to end up playing a lot, lot more. Larger pharmaceutical companies are already doing that. In a couple of roles that I've had, I had to actually hire somebody in that in that level. 
as well. Uh, so that's that's really critical because that helps. That's really where the launch actually starts. If you think about it, if you go really really back and peel everything off, it just starts from that conversation on what is the product that we want to bring into the market looks like, and why does it have to look like this versus that, right? Now anywhere from there on, you can absolutely catch the train, and there's there's nothing wrong with that necessarily, right? But the sooner you catch that train. I think the more successful the launch for the organization will be for the, all the reasons that we just mentioned about not, not to, not to also forget about our scientific platform and the communication messages and scientific statements that we get out there, which is the core core of everything we do at the company, right? And medical has a potential and opportunity to drive that earlier on. And as you mentioned before, Kim, Changing behaviors and people getting educated on something new or, or something different than is coming to the market takes time, right? With the clinician, it takes time. It's going to take even more time with the payers, right? Patients are usually more more excited and they, they really want to learn more. So they're kind of driving some of that conversation, which is I think is fantastic. Making sure that what we are communicating out there is just not going to happen with two or three abstracts and a couple of manuscripts over six months. Right. If you want to get to a position that you have uh, the HCPs and KOLs excited for your product coming to the market, then that's the that's the really the work that happens all the pre-launch, making sure that you are prepping the market for that. And of course, all of that again is done cross-functionally with your colleagues from clinical, commercial. Even though we're in a position to drive it, you know, pre-launch, uh, we can't take a step forward without our, our colleagues in other functions. And I think. Ramin mentioned patients a couple times there, and, and Kim, I think, you know, thinking back to one of the projects that you and I have worked on, not necessarily an ultra rare disease, but a patient community that needed to be engaged with really, really early phase one, healthy volunteer, pre, you know, translational preclinical, like very, very early on, um, simply because of the nature of that patient community, and that's done through medical affairs. So not necessarily an ultra rare disease or gene therapy, which also, you know, on a gene therapy project that I worked on, and a lot of times when you get in these ultra, ultra rare diseases, they're very, um, you know, patient group uh, driven. And a lot of those patient groups are, you know, parents or care providers for someone who has that disease. And so they are very, very important. As Ramin said, that's kind of your key to launch when you're working in, you know, some of these more difficult patient communities or ultra rare diseases that are very, very patient driven you know, they're, they're your key to success a lot of times and, and you need to work with them and, and bring them along on that train ride, as Ramin said, um, because they can be really difficult to get on the train later in the, you know, later in the game, if you haven't worked with them, you know, early on in the process. So, you know, like Ramin said, I think, you know, we would like two years as kind of the bare minimum for, you know, when you should bring medical affairs on for kind of your, your value max maximization but you really have to understand the patient community that you're going into, the HCP community that you're going into. And those really need to drive how and when medical affairs needs to be built up and how it should be structured. And, it, you know, if you're more field heavy or if you're more, you know, you know, education heavy for HCPs, it, it really depends on the therapeutic area that you're entering and, and kind of what that dynamic is between HCPs and patients. That's such a good point you bring up because all these launches, and I've done quite a few of them, they are so, so different. Mm-hmm. Right. I remember when we were bringing uh, gene therapy, Zolgensma, for SMA patients, the intensity of our 
education. It was very, very different than every other launch that I've ever experienced because there was such a lack of knowledge, right? For gene therapy, it was lack of knowledge even for SMA because these patients never had any therapeutic uh, for their disease. So we we had to go back and kind of really intensify our education on the disease states, why, why it's important to diagnose these patients early on, what is gene therapy, what are the benefits, what's the safety, and all of that, again, goes back to it takes, it does take time. Um, and that's that's a really good point you bring up about the differences in launch. They're, not, they're never the same. I think a couple of themes, just maybe to summarize what I'm hearing here, you know, medical affairs adds value by being connectors collaborators, both internal and external to the community and to the organization. Bringing that insight at all stages of development helps to accelerate both the process for development and launch planning, but it also helps to make sure that what you're doing is really on point with where the community, whether it's the patient community, the caregiver community, the physician community, meeting them where they're at, meeting them where their needs and their demands are, and making sure that we're in a position for the products and the assets that we're bringing to market to be as successful as possible. And that being you know, core to the value that medical affairs can bring, bring to an organization and the market as a whole. With that, I was just going to say, Max, thank you so much for, for getting the show today. It's been a great conversation. I think these are all really critical points um, and look forward to continuing these discussions. Perfect. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Max. Thanks for tuning in to the Emerging Biotech Leader, an SSI strategy podcast. Join us each month for more conversations with biotech leaders. If you'd like to help navigating the complexities of biotech, reach out to our team at ssistrategy.com. Don't forget to hit subscribe and leave a review.